Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey, well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterlund, and I'm your host, and we are on to the next episode. Today, my guest is Howard Lip, and he is going to talk about his experience of recovery coming up against what he calls this wall that he couldn't get by, he couldn't change, and with some experiences in rehab, that also led him to do some work with psychedelics. He was able to transcend that and find a way out of his own suffering and pain. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Howard really goes into how that change in perspective of being able to see ourselves as part of the whole can shift the way in which we view our whole experience and alleviate a lot of pain and suffering we get from being stuck in our own thinking and our own construct of how we are in the world. So let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Addicted Mind podcast. My guest today is Howard Lip, and he is going to talk about his own journey and a little bit about plant-based medicine and mental health and anxiety and depression and all that stuff. So, Howard, please introduce yourself. Well, I'm Howard Lip. I jumped into the world of recovered or recovery in 2002, after hitting a wall with drugs and alcohol that was just impenetrable. And impenetrable. I went to a treatment center. Yeah, absolutely. I, 
I couldn't get around the wall, and I finally realized that I had a callus on my forehead from running into the same wall without noticing it for such a long time. Wow. And uh, some friends that I was working with at the time offered me the opportunity to go get help. And, you know, I didn't want to live anymore, but I wasn't actively suicidal, but I didn't want to live the way I was living. So I said, okay, let's I gotta go. I got to do something. So I got to do were, something. You were able to kind of see that there was some wall that you just kept running into. Like it, it just, like you said, hitting your head against the wall. I think a lot of people can feel that way. Like I want to change. I'm miserable, but I can't seem to make that change happen. Right. Right. And I knew I couldn't think my way through it. And I'm a scientist at heart and I thought I could, but I couldn't because, you know, there were some things that I learned that you can't solve the problem with the thing that's causing the problem. Right. I couldn't think my way out of the problem. I couldn't stop because my mind would get so active, so depressed, and would continue to tell me stories and awfulize the circumstances with projection into the future or the pain of the past. And I, of course, I would want to shut it up again. I mean, because for me, right. I mean, and this is personal, but I've spoken to a lot of people over the years because I've also supported a lot of transpersonal workshops for people, is that I found as a young man, I took a drink and all of a sudden my head stopped talking trash. Right. And lo and behold, oh, this works. I got stuck there. You know, it, it was my second time trying recovery. The first time I went to a medical program called Schick Shadle Hospital. I won't talk uh -huh. much about that, but it was more about Pavlovian deconditioning uh, uh -huh. and intellectualizing the, the problem. And right. it worked for a while, but it didn't solve the internal conflict that I had within me, the feeling of worthlessness, the pain of my past, abuse, bullying, all the childhood stuff that conditioned in me the beliefs that I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm unacceptable as I am. And right. the separation that we also get from incarnating into a body. You know, we come from the realm of consciousness. We come from the realm of the great mystery. And right. we land into a body. And we're not received as this whole and complete being. Right. You know, instead, we're given lots of reasons why we're not whole and complete. And we're told that this great mystery that we are an emanation of is actually out there somewhere. It's not actually in everything that you see. And so this creates this separation and this belief that I'm alone and there's something fundamentally wrong with me. So I went through most of my life believing that there was something foundationally wrong with me. Right. And it was, of course, easy to grab evidence from my experience as a child from the fact that I needed something outside of myself to feel okay in my skin. Yeah. And it wasn't until I went through 12-step first and then found that, you know, I had the most interesting experience at the treatment center. I literally was awake for about 20, 21 days when I went there. I hadn't slept. Wow. And I was a mess, but no one knew it except for my business partners because I wasn't able to show up. Right. But no one who knew me thought that I had anything except a high capacity for alcohol. They never saw me intoxicated. 
They never saw me stumbly because for me, alcohol was about shutting up my head and amphetamines were about making sure I was operational. Right. So you bounce those two things back and forth. Oh, yeah. Function. Mean, meanwhile, dealing with this broken, well, not broken, but this feeling of brokenness. Absolutely. This feeling of I'm not worthy. I'm, and, and that's just, just such a painful feeling to manifest. You know, and a head full of all kinds of information that would confirm it. Right. And the only thing that shut that up was alcohol. It worked well. The problem is eventually any substance is going to fail. Right. It doesn't, yeah, it, it can't do it forever. No, it can't. And it keeps getting worse and worse and, and worse as you try it more and more and more. And you're, you're like in that spot where you said a big bruise on the top of your head from running into the same wall. And you know something's wrong. You know something's not right here. But I can't. I, I can't get past it. So you ended up in the treatment center and started to get some support there. Yeah, I, I went to a treatment center, and and interestingly enough, I had the most unusual experience after having been awake for that long. I laid down on the bed and I didn't move for three days. No detox symptoms. They applied no medications to my body. They just monitored to make sure I was still operational and breathing. And then I woke up with no detox and i was sad and i was scared and i was depressed but i didn't have any cravings wow which was crazy and that story gets a little deeper i mean i felt like i was i was literally taken out of my body for that time because i have no memory of anything happening until i woke up to see my my roommate at the treatment center standing at the sink shaving wow I thought it was morning. So something happened there. Something happened to you. I mean, from that scientific perspective, something happened to your brain. Who knows? But something changed. Something shifted. You felt it. It was different. It was different. You know, and I went to my first meeting and I heard somebody speak who shared a story of depth and weight that really resonated for me. And I thought, as crazy as their story was, it was far crazier than even the one I lived. And I thought if they could do it, I could. And I just set about to doing everything I was told to do through 12-step work. But there was a moment when I realized, and I was at that treatment center for a year, and I actually worked there for about 11 months managing the sober living after my first 30 days. Really, what I did was I took clients to and from meetings, right. and to and from court appearances, and that kind of thing. That was just of service. But it was, it was a nice break. But it was through an introduction that I met my first experience of psychedelic plant medicine. Wow. And I was terrified of them. You know, I'm 60. So I was old enough to see the older kids getting really strange with psychedelics and mm -hmm. talking about seeing things that aren't there. And I'm like, no way, not, not for, for me. <laughs> not for me. I'm not going there. <laughs> not for me. I can't trust my mind on nothing. The last thing I need to do is give it something that it could really imagine with. Because wow. the, the thought was monsters from the id. Right. All, As in the all, movie Forbidden all, Planet. Yeah, yeah. All this stuff, all this brokenness that you, you're so sure is there, that you're so positive is there, is going to come reeling up and, and take over. Yeah, it's going to absolutely destroy me, or I will destroy me because I just can't, I just can't deal with it. Right. 
Right. But that first experience broke through something for me because there was a connection immediately. I felt this presence of this great mystery of spirit, like holding me in this container saying, you're safe, it's okay. And things started to come up and I started to be able to address them. The ways in which, you know, you could say it, you hear Meister Eckhart, Eckhart Tolle and many others, visionaries and luminaries in the, in the, the field of consciousness talk about this mind made self that, that we create in our wounding. Mm-hmm. You know, as a child, we're not seen and acknowledged for the whole and complete being that we are on our arrival. And we're given all these reasons why we're not acceptable as is. And we start to create these masks that we wear in various yep. circumstances. We call it the ego. It's a slightly different definition of ego than maybe psychology might use. But I think East-West psychology and transpersonal psychology is coming on to this concept more. Right. So we, we create, the, yeah, we create this image of our ourselves through our wounding of what we are. So it, because of our experiences, it creates this idea. And if we've had experiences that are traumatic or neglect or abandonment or abuse or what, whatever of, of, of that nature, then that, that becomes our identity. Absolutely. We create that identity. This must be who I am. Right. And we hide behind them because yeah. we need to. We need to put on whatever face we need to for the circumstance we're in so that that part feels safe and protected, that wounded aspect of my authentic self, that child in me, that divine light. Mm-hmm. And as I started to see these aspects and started to deconstruct them through that, and then I was introduced after a number of those to another plant medicine. I went to South America, worked with ayahuasca. And, you know, just as Michael Pollan says in his book too, is if you really want to change your mind, you're going to have to address these false selves. Yeah. And that's what I wound up, you know, facing. They weren't quote monsters from the ids or, or id or demons and, and dragons, you know, inhabiting my body, they were literally mental constructs that had such control over me because they were reflexes, like pulling your hand away from fire. Right. You know, automatic. They just happen. Whether it's the, I got this, or I'm the greatest, or, you know, whatever the story is that that mask is there to bring. And you and were so saying, starting to deconstruct those. I realized that my addiction was not to a substance. My addiction was actually to my thinking. I right. believed every single thought I had. I believed that the thinking, that the thinker was me. Rather than this constructed self. Right. So you were able to look beyond this constructive self. So it took time. It took time. But but go back a little bit to something you mentioned a little bit earlier. You talked about this moment where you felt held. You saw yourself as bigger than the this construction that had been made, right? And almost in essence, did that allow you to then see these thoughts being held in that container or being able to see yourself as bigger than yourself, I guess, if that makes sense that you were able to start to see these thoughts and go, Oh, I can now, I can now watch them or see them. 
Well, this might come as a bit of a surprise, but the plants have a spirit and they have a consciousness and they can communicate. And the thing that was most surprising is that stepping into that altered state was not into a world of hallucinatory experiences and all of that. It was first an opening into a place where there was this expansive sense of being so much more and connected to so much more, a part of all of it. But there was also, the mind was something I could see, not visually, but I could see that my mind was not me. Right. I could start to see how my experiences had created these beliefs. And this was even before I actually met some of the work of the more luminaries in the field of consciousness. In you know, even Ram Das would be here now. He's pointing to the same thing. And of course, he also did a lot of work with psychedelics. And that transpersonal nature of it, the ability to step out of my mind right. and be able to observe it as if it's another from this place of of consciousness, from this place of just awareness, from presence. Because for me, you know, you've heard people say this often, and, and we don't really laugh at it or take note of it, but when someone says, geez, if that happened to me, I couldn't live with myself, implying that there's two of me in here. You know, right. and we're taught to believe that there's me and then there's my soul. There isn't. There's just my constructed self, my mind. And essence, the essence of the all that is, that's manifested as this point of awareness called me. Right. This biggerness. But that is a huge shift in thinking. And, and as, well, not thinking, but being. Thinking and it being. It was a huge shift. <laughs> right. Which then you see the whole world from this other perspective. Yes. Absolutely. One of the things that, that became very clear is that Nobody is really suffering from an addiction to a substance that, you know, and that is a known fact that it's a symptom. Right. But the model that we're most of us are introduced to is that we're broken beyond repair and we need a daily miracle to get there. And that's just more separation from this divine being that's out there. Well, it isn't. You know, Jesus said it, Kabbalah says it, Taoism says it, that the essence of the great mystery is hidden. But in everything that you see, everything that you see is an emanation of that. Right. And and that you are part of it. You, you are it. You you're are not it. the sum and total of yeah. it. But you know, you're a point of light from this great central sun, so to speak, that emanates everything. And that's a completely different shift after you've been suffering with these built up belief systems, built up sense of self that is incredibly painful it was incredibly painful and the worst part is and you can relate because you work with people who have depression and anxiety and so you know there's this not just this false self that we put up to hide behind but there's also this self-flagellating false self that beats the crap out of us for the shortcomings and for our failings that we were schooled on when we were little, 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 right. You know, all the ways in which we got the message, we were unacceptable as is, even though we landed whole and complete and that we're separate from divinity. We need an intermediary. We need a theology and ideology in order to connect to it. Right. Yeah. 
And the challenge was I was working in 12-step and very active. You could say I was a big book thumper in NA and AA. The challenge that started to come for me was the, the belief system is still religion. It's still the belief that God is out there, that it's separate from me, that I need its grace on a moment-by-moment -moment basis, when in fact my heart is beating and I'm breathing because of that very emanation that I am of source. It's not up there going, well, today you get to breathe. It's saying breathe until your body wears out. Right. It's empowering that. So as I start to get pulled away from that belief system, I also was confronted by this deep fear that if I stepped away from the umbilical cord of that community, that I would somehow sink again. Right. And, yeah. You know, I was raised Jewish, so I have a different ideology and theology to begin with. And then stepping into that one, which is more Oxford group Christianity. And then right. starting to see all the ways in which that was not supporting what I was learning. Yep. And so I had to step away because I, I started to see that I wasn't broken beyond repair, that I had a head full of beliefs that had nothing to do with truth that were continuing to keep me stuck on this hamster wheel of suffering. Not to mention, of course, my own wounding, my constructed mind, which did a great job of driving me back to wanting to take whatever. But right. something cracked that day in that treatment center when I woke up. That that hook was gone. Right. You know, that hook to do something, to get out of pain, to take something to get out of pain was gone. Wow. And and this change of this oh, I don't I don't know if I want to call it belief system or it's hard sometimes to have the language, but because, you know, language is a metaphor, so it's hard to sometimes get, because some of these things are felt senses. You can't, you can't put exactly. them into words. Right. But, but this shift that, that happened, it sounds like it happened slowly over, over time as you started to experience this perspective shift. Like you're looking everything from this one angle and you don't see that there's all these other angles around it that you could look at it from. Right. And all of a sudden, it's kind of you start to wake up to that. Like, oh, my gosh, I've been stuck in this one kind of way of thinking, this thinking of separation, which to be able to see that as separate. God is right. over here and I'm here and maybe we'll meet up once in a while instead of being able to say it is all one. Right. You know, and the theology I come from comes from that belief that there is but one. Right. And yet. Some of the ways in which it's been brought forth has nothing to do with enlightenment or consciousness. But that's not really the truth. The truth is, there is just consciousness. I mean, as a hardcore scientist, and I am a hardcore scientist, computer engineer and physicist, actually, by education, I didn't get that connection growing up in the synagogue. And I, I didn't really find that connection when I got clean in the beginning or sober through 12-step. It was just a concept. It was just another mental concept that I couldn't touch. Right, right. But I did everything that was suggested. But then the opportunity came where I knew I was going to sink back into the pain of my suffering because I was circling it. And I just kept myself busy with meetings and people and 12-stepping people and all that because I didn't know what else to do. That's what they said would work. Right. But when this invitation came, 
And it came from two different people who I knew from different aspects of my life. I took leadership trainings. I did men's workshops. I did whatever I could. But between the ancient aspects of Kabbalah and Taoism that I had studied with martial arts, I started to see the deeper truth in the Taoism, which is really about the truth of what is right here and now. Yeah. And it started to deconstruct my need to figure out how I could be safe and or torture myself with future plans or future fears or dragging up my past as my identity of being the victim or being the perpetrator or all of that. All of that identification kept me from being right here right now. And when I get to be right here right now, I find peace because the mind shuts the hell up because all it wants to do is talk about the past or the future and look for all the ways in which things could go wrong or things could go fabulously. Right. And Rather we miss than what's just in front of us. Moment. Yeah. And we miss, we miss what's, what's right here and right now and the beauty that has. And as crazy as it sounds, psychedelics do that. Yeah. They bring you present to the moment that you're in. You can't run away. Like music. Music has the same power because you're not listening to the last note you heard or anticipating the next one. You're in the moment that you're in. And that's why people seem to say, wow, that really helped me find myself. Well, you haven't been missing. You've been lost in the thinking. I've been lost, lost in, in thinking. my thinking. Right. Quieting. You know, so really being being in presence is when that thinking mind goes away. The ego, the false self goes away because it, it can only exist in creating troubles with the future or chaos or pain from the past. And it takes me out of the moment I'm in. And you can be in that moment to experience the beauty of it and see it from the beauty. Even in hardship and tragedy, there can be incredible meaning. There is incredible meaning and actually being able to allow oneself, myself, to sit and feel rather than distract, rather than bury myself in social media, drink something, take something, do something, to actually just feel. Right. If it's grieving, if it's whatever, feel it and allow it to move. Otherwise, you know, the pain that we've had as children, that victims just becomes part of our ego. Right. And, you know, victim is a great role to take because everyone can relate. And certainly social media is a great place to find shoulders to cry on. Not to say that there isn't a need to have loving, loving support right. in, in our grief, in our pain, but not to avoid it. Because as we, as we address it, as I sit with it in the moment it comes up, it reduces the pressure in the center of my chest of all the emotions I haven't had the presence to face. And so that's the other part that psychedelics can bring us to is they can crack that wall that prevents us from accessing the deeper feelings that we haven't been able to process, whether it's from trauma with PTSD or abuse or bullying, right. the ability to actually no longer compartmentalize this stuff and shove it into a corner somewhere. Say, I'm right. never going to fully deal with that because I don't have tools for it. When in fact, the truth is we do right. have tools for it. And the tool and, is actually just to be with it. Yeah. And a lot of the, the research coming out of the psychedelic field now is really backing that statement up that uh, this really allows us to 
step out of those locked automatic ways of thinking and shift that perspective to something that brings us more joy, connects us to ourselves, connects us to the other, the, the world, the, the globalness, the, that we're all uh, one in, in, in a way. And sometimes, you know, when we're in so much pain and suffering and, and we're, I would say in fight or flight, right? We, we can't step out, you know, in fight or flight, you can't step out. You know, it's, it's really hard. It's really hard to step out, I should say. It's really hard to step out, especially when you're in fight or flight from your thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Because where can you go? Wherever you go, you're taking it with you. Yep. Taking this with me. Taking yeah. it with me. And being able to actually address it in a healthy way was something I had never had tools for. It was just not, you know, my pain is my parents' pain, is my grandparents' pain, is my great-grandparents' pain. Going back so many generations, there's no one to point a finger at and say it started with them. Which started to take away the victim identity. It started to to allow me to let go of the victim identity. They didn't do this to me. They didn't do this. As a matter of fact, I would come to see later, there's no me in here. The me that I think is here is just my constructed self, the false mind-made self, which really consists of patterns and beliefs and pain and all the ways in, in which we've created all these masks. And as we start to deconstruct those, you know, we, life becomes a very different experience. Right. As we start to let go of the attachment to those beliefs. Because, you know, we created these masks to protect us so that we could get our needs met in whatever way we would get our needs met through the manipulation. You know, whether it was guilt and manipulation that was used to control our behavior, which is usually the case, then we take on the guilt and the shame. So I, I have a question. As this process happens for you, and I, I would imagine other others might be might be thinking this. H- how does this start to m- manifest in your everyday life? We're talking about really high, big concepts of you know self and the universe and part of the universe. But at the same time, it's like I gotta live. I gotta go to work. I gotta. I got to, you know, I got to make sure the kids get fed. I, I, you know, all that kind of stuff. So how does that start to change that? The thing I think that helped change it most was the recognition that I, first of all, I do not have to believe every thought my mind has. I can be here with what needs to be done in the moment. I can show up better when I'm more fully present. I can take care of what needs to be taken care of. I can deal with what's happening. So Pictetus said it best. My struggles, my suffering is not what's happening in the moment. It's the story I tell myself about it. That's my pain. That's my suffering. And so as I start to recognize that, I can start to bring myself back to be here now. As Ram Dass said, and Eckhart Tolle says it, Meister Eckhart, 
you know, Shafali Sabari. There's so many people teaching about consciousness and presence. Jack Cornfield, Trudy Stiles. I mean, so many people. And it seems like it's way out there. And there was a time when I would have, if somebody said to me, be here now, I would have said in a, you know, where else can I be? But they right. weren't referring to my body. And I didn't get that. You know, again, I tried to find this great mystery in the synagogue as a kid and it wasn't there. Right. And I would go through my life kind of seeking it through science. And eventually science would lead me back to the oldest connector that humans have found to the great mystery, which is psychedelic plants. Right. And that connection to the all that is, is available to us without taking that in this moment, as long as I don't allow myself to go into this. It doesn't mean I can't use my mind for creative thinking and creativity. But the challenge that I had was that my mind never stopped, never stopped talking about what it's going to do in the future, how great it's going to be, how awful it might be. See, this person did this and the victim story and all of that. And when I'm present here, I don't have to deal with that. And when something happens in the moment, I can recognize when my mind wants to take me into a future projected fear or concern about what could happen if. Right. You know, I use this analogy often. You see a letter from the IRS. And the first thing you think without opening it is, oh my God, something's wrong with my this or that, my tax return. Oh my God. I, now I'm three months you're, down the road panicked. it's like oh my gosh complete, oh my gosh my body's out, out of control in a complete fabricated catastrophe when it's just it, it's a completely innocuous letter saying yes this is your information has been received and and that's it it's like right <laughs> and yeah. i think over time like you said as we, as we maybe open ourselves up to this bigger experience and I haven't done psychedelics, so I, I don't I don't know that experience. But I, I'm just from my own personal work and growth or whatever. It's like when we know the experience as the experience, we get to just be in it, and the experience itself is not threatening. It doesn't have to be threatening. It is just what it is, and and we get to watch our experience and whatever that is, and just see it as it is what it is. I don't know that sounds kind of like, what? But I don't know how else to explain it, <laughs> it from, from my experience. Yeah, there's no need to explain it any other way, truthfully. You know, it is what it is, is about as zen and about presence-based as you can be. This right. moment is what it is. If it's uncomfortable, then allow it to be uncomfortable. If I can show up in, in an authentic way, to that moment, then that's what I'm here to do. Right. It's not to run away from that moment and it's not to run into the future about what it could mean. Yeah. Because it's not the news that causes you the suffering. Again, like Epictetus said, it's the story I'm weaving on top of it. Right. The thing is that hard part, like you said, where we bang our head against the walls, we can't see the story. We can't see it. And we're so the in the story that, you know, we just keep banging our head against this wall of story and there's no freedom until maybe something 
happens or there's that shift or whatever we have, the experiences that pull us. And then all of a sudden we see the story. We're like, oh my gosh, this is a story. Exactly. We start to see the story. You know, we're trained to believe that the thinking mind is us. We're trained to believe that the thoughts are coming from us. And so when we have an opinion, we have a mental position that we are identified with. And in many ways, and we've seen that a lot in the recent years, especially on social media, that there is no space to disagree. There's no space to have a different opinion. But the fact is that just because I have an opinion doesn't make it a fact either. Right. And as I start to learn that the thinking mind and my identification with it is my suffering, it's not the circumstances in my life, it becomes easier and easier. And I don't know if anybody falls into the 100% Zen category that life never causes my mind to go off into a panic. Right. That's our humanity. That's humanity. But as I identify less and less with what I believe as opposed to know is truth, life gets easier. It doesn't necessarily get easier dealing with people because people are probably the most confusing and difficult part of life. As we all have different levels of evolution and different belief systems and different attachments to them and different wounding. And that's the challenge. Life isn't the challenge. People right. are the challenge. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. You know, circumstances are not even the challenge. They're just circumstances. And they're as fluid as, you know, the tide and the lifespan of a human being. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. One more question. So as you did this journey, how did your life change? What's shifted about it? And how is it now, just in, I guess, a practical way, to then when you were, you know, with your business partners and functioning and what's different about it? Well, one of the most important things that's different about it is I can listen inside. I can listen to that connection to whatever you want to call it, the great mystery nature, because underneath it all, there's just consciousness to be able to tune into that and be present with that. I can actually make decisions based on that wisdom as opposed to thinking. And I'm learning that this mind is a very powerful tool, but it's not the guidance system for living. It is not. And when I used it as my guidance system for living, I got my ass kicked regularly. Yeah. Usually in here, not just by circumstances, but also by circumstances, because I would make decisions based on this, figuring this and thinking that and planning that and projecting that. And then having an emotional experience based on something I think could happen, whether it's good or bad. And I'm not here. So one of the things it's helped me with is being with what is in the moment, which is dealing with life on life's terms, literally. Not on the terms of some theology or some ideology, but actually dealing with what is. As in contacting you this morning, oh my gosh, there's a, there's a time conflict. Okay, so don't panic, reach out. Yeah. And it'll be what it'll be. <laughs> it'll be what it'll be. You know, I never thought I'd be married. I never thought I would have children. I really didn't think I'd make it past 30. I just turned 60. And, you know, I actually feel like I'm starting to live from a place that I've never really known, but briefly. 
in Winks. I'm living from that place more often. It's no longer Winks anymore. Yeah. That's awesome, Howard. That's great. I can I can feel that from you as as you talk. I can I can feel that presence. And the beauty of it is, you know, obviously we all have our personality and that is from our experience of life and that's a beautiful thing, but it's not my identity either. Yep. It's it's how I present to the world, but but the truth is we're so much more than that. You're so much more than that. I'm so much more than that. Absolutely. The other thing is that wisdom is not coming from thinking. You know, wisdom is coming from presence, from being in, in real harmony with nature, with life, with the great mystery. Whatever you want to call it, God, Jesus, Buddha, Allah, it doesn't matter. Give it a name. It's unnameable. Right. It's really unnameable and, and wholly unknowable in a human form. And yet we came from there. And we're going to go back there when this is done. Yep. And some of us may get a brief wink at it through the psychedelic experience or through a near-death experience or through some other transpersonal experience that takes us into this place where, where we sense there's more. There's something much more infinite to the wisdom, to the consciousness, to the presence that I connect to, that I am an emanation of. And as you said earlier in the conversation, you know, language is kind of a stumbling point here. Because especially with transpersonal experiences, we're talking about psychedelic experience, you know, what we share about it can only really be understood if I share what I'm learning through the process and not what I experienced in the process. Because what I experienced, it was said to me by an old time shaman that what you experienced during the journey was created by the spirit of the plants and essence in order to help you deconstruct your mind. And so if you just speak that story to another human being, it may sound wonderful, it may sound fantastic, or they may go, I don't know what you're taking, but stop, because this is crazy. Right. But when you can say, I've learned that I'm so much more than I realized, that my suffering is actually my thinking, yes. that I, I've learned to forgive not by, by saying what you did is okay, or you know, I love you anyway, it's actually to recognize that this is a chain of unconsciousness passed on generation after generation after generation. And not right. only did they not do this to me, but I've come to see that there's no me in here to do anything to, that that me that I think is here is actually just a construct of my mind. And that's the part that's still sinking in more and more and more, Absolutely. is the identification with the false self as my identity. You know, it started with a meditation in, in rehab. Literally, my first meditation group where the woman who was leading it said, take your career and put it in a balloon, a helium balloon, and just let it float away. And then your bank account and your relationship, your parents, your kids, your job, your home, your house, your car, right. all of these things. And by the time she got to the last bit of it, I just had a complete fall apart. Because for me, there was the moment when I realized, if that's the case, underneath it all, I'm nothing. Yeah, there's nothing I'm nothing, there. which, you know, was my pain, which was the root of my pain, that I believed I was nothing. When in fact, that is just, again, my mind telling me this story. And when my mind was, was asked to let all those things go, it thought, well, 
that's all I know. That's all I know as, as the measure of who I am. And that's probably the greatest lie we tell ourselves and our kids is that the value of a human being can be codified or quantified by anything of this world. Our yeah. job, our money, or all of that. Because it's not. You know, that stuff will come and go, just like life, just like this body will come and go. But the knowledge that underneath it, there is something so precious and true and vital and valuable and treasured that can't be measured. This it is the essence of what we are. Can't be measured. It can't be measured. It's unmeasurable. I relate to that so much, Howard. So there's one question when we get to wrap up, I, I like to do this at the end of the podcast as, as we're wrapping up, someone's out there and you could say one thing to them. What would you want to say? I would say, don't believe every thought that you have. Question everything you think you know. If you do nothing more than pay attention to your breathing as often as you can with the rising and falling of your breath, you will do more to evolve your consciousness than any book you can read, anything you can take. Not that those won't help. Howard, thank you so much for coming on to the Addicted Mind podcast. I really enjoyed this conversation like so much. It's just it, really in, in, enriching and I've loved it. How can people find you? If they want more information about you, where can they go? Well, my wife and I do a lot of different things. We teach about this work. Um, you can find us at enaandhoward.com. That's E-N-A and Howard.com or kalarafana.com, which is probably a lot harder to spell. <laughs> I will put all that in the show notes. So um, if you if you want to find more about Howard, just go to the addictedmind.com and look at the show notes and I'll put all the links in there too. So Wonderful. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you, Dwayne. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Howard. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. All the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. So you can find all the information about Howard. And if you want to find out more, go there and check it out. And as usual, if you are getting a lot out of the Addicted Mind, think about writing a review in iTunes. That really does help get the podcast a lot of exposure and I really appreciate it. And it means a lot to me. And if you'd like think about joining our Facebook group, just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast, click join and continue the conversation online. All right, everyone have a wonderful day and I will talk to you on the next episode. It's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. 
We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.